This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Welcome to the Cocky Ride Home for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, some tips for rewilding your attention, plus how to help NASA train future rovers to better navigate Mars, and what's going on with those NFT billboards in Times Square. And also, the McRib is now an NFT. Here are some cool things from the news today. So for a bit of a contrast to yesterday's doom and gloom about algorithms and the illusion of choice, I thought I'd dive a little deeper into a quick link that Jason shared on Kotki.org yesterday about the concept of rewilding your attention. That phrase, rewild your attention, was coined by SEO consultant Tom Critchlow and has bounced around a certain corner of the blogosphere for the past few months, originally being said in response to a great piece from Ali Montag about to super simplify a beautifully written essay that I'll link to in the show notes, getting distracted from creative work by the endless comparisons to others' highlight reels on the internet. Montag called those people you may yearn to be like the inner ring. Now, Critchlow responded to Montag's article in a series of tweets saying, quote, Yes, there is an inner ring, and there's a status game to be played, but writing, blogging, and thinking in public doesn't mean that you're playing that game. The topology of the internet enables smaller groups and connections if you know where to look. This is the weird paradox for the hyperscale of the internet. It's huge and noisy, but it's also a million tiny niches blossoming. But if all you read and follow are mainstream and inner circle folks, then you're only going to see the status and celebrity game. You'll desire audience and reach and think that writing in Fast Company is success, when the reality is that you can rewild your attention and follow blogs and people writing small, weird things. You can find your group. You can forge real connections. End quote. Now, I don't think either of them are disagreeing with each other in actuality. The truth is that the easiest part of the internet to see and interact with on a daily basis is trending content on social media within our own little filter bubbles, which for some people either truly is more mainstream or feels more mainstream and inner ringy than for others. And I think it's especially easy on Twitter these days to feel like your feed is reflective of not just what everyone else on Twitter is seeing and discussing, but also everyone else in the world. But for those of us who want to break out of these concentric rings of influence and find the other weirder, more intentionally sought-out content and communities lurking in far-flung digital lands, we need to rewild our attention. Clive Thompson expanded on his interpretation of the rewilding your attention thing in an article in August and then followed it up with some practical tips in another article last week. Thompson notes that the social pressure to keep up with what people with big follower accounts are talking about is a natural inclination for us social animals, and that's totally fine. But there are benefits to seeking out your own interests in addition to keeping up with the conversations in the town square. Further, he emphasizes the importance of going outside what social media recommendations think we like. 
The recommendations are getting better and better, so even those of us who balked at them initially have frequently fallen prey to their traps. They serve up content in buckets we're genuinely interested in, but as Thompson says, quote, I'm also interested in so many other things that are far outside these narrow lanes. You're the same way. You contain your own etc. Whitmanian multitudes, your pockets of woolly-eyed obsession. We all do. But our truly quirky dimensions are never really grasped by these recommendation algorithms. They have all the dullness of a demographics 101 curriculum. They sketch our personalities with the crudity of crime scene chalk outlines. They're not wrong about us, but they're woefully incomplete. Complete. This is why I always get a slightly flattened feeling when I behold my feed, robotically unloading boxes of content from the same monotonous conveyor belt of recommendations catered to some imaginary marketing version of my identity. It's like checking my reflection in the mirror and seeing stock photo imagery. End quote. These recommendations also highly favor the popular and the recent, Thompson points out, which makes it tough to find older or more arcane content. And quoting again, That's why I so enjoy the concept of rewilding. The metaphor suggests precisely what to do. If you want to have wilder, curiouser thoughts, you have to avoid the industrial monocropping of big tech feeds. You want an intellectual forest, overgrown with mushrooms and towering weeds and a massive dead log where a family of Coons has taken up residence, end quote. But how do you create that intellectual forest with that little family of raccoons? Thompson offers some of his own practices, some of which Jason noted he uses to mine for content on Kotki.org, and which I also coincidentally follow to find content for this podcast. But a key thing to keep in mind about rewilding is that, as C.J. Eller wrote in one of the blog posts that inspired Thompson, quote, Rewilding attention is an active practice. One must not only pursue those tiny signals, but share them as well, whether that means writing about them on your blog or by word of mouth. The only way the tiny signal can keep on resonating throughout the web is if we keep passing it on. End quote. So, in addition to the four or so blog posts I've just quoted from that you may not have encountered before, here are some further signals to share via Thompson. His top tip is to use an RSS feed, and I concur. Follow whatever publications or independent blogs you want, organize them how you want, and read them when and how you want, not how a social media platform wants you to. And like Thompson, my go-to RSS feed reader is Feedly. Its free tier is pretty sufficient, and I find way more fascinating stuff that leads me down rabbit holes when I get my news via Feedly than via Twitter or Apple News or what have you. And Thompson also recommends what are essentially web rings. Remember those? Basically, when you go to a blog or smaller independent site, see what other sites they link out to or collaborate with. You can end up on a long and possibly deep path of discovery that way. Likewise, hit up old discussion boards. Pick a subject, any subject, and then Google for an old message board conversation about it and sit back for possibly hours of learning and entertainment, like holding a glass to the wall of a room from 20 years ago. Or find current discussions on Reddit and Tumblr, which Thompson describes as, quote, hosting a bazillion weirdos documenting their obsessions, which I can't disagree with and also feel like kind of describes the creators of all the content Thompson is recommending we seek out. 
And one other way to find all those weird discussions or creations online is by starting your search in a weird, offbeat way with a non-traditional search engine. Thompson recommends Marginalia, which may be my new favorite thing. It's a search engine specifically designed to surprise you by optimizing for results with lots of text, and which seem to be from personal websites, and downranking sites with modern designs. The effect is finding sites that would probably be like seven pages back in a Google search, which could of course be another tactic, just go way back in Google results, but marginalia makes it a bit more fun. The other thing that Thompson does is look through books, like actual physical books. He goes to the library and flips through whatever new nonfiction books they have on display and flips through them until he finds something interesting, or picks a random topic and goes to find older books on the topic. Quoting again, Old-school nonfiction paper books are pure gold for rewilding your attention. They have the highest density of research per page of any form of media on the planet. Some author knocked themselves out for a couple of years distilling knowledge into that book you hold in your hands. It's quite nuts how valuable they are. They're also super varied. Nonfiction writers go down super niche rat holes. If you can even think of a subject, somebody's written 90,000 nonfiction words about it. End quote. And yeah, I hard agree on that. I've got a bunch of nonfiction books I own that I've only read pieces of because one of my favorite things to do is pick up whichever book is calling out to me, read a few pages, and inevitably end up down a rabbit hole that started with a footnote and led to some academic paper and then a series of videos or a podcast episode or more articles, and now I've come up with a whole idea for my own project. And that's really the magic we're talking about here. When you're finding stuff in this way, giving yourself the time and freedom to just explore and not care what anyone else is saying or thinks about it, you often end up being inspired in all kinds of unexpected directions. Then Thompson points out that you don't even have to go to the library or bookstore to employ this method since any book printed in America before 1925 is accessible online via Google Books or archive.org. And in addition to nonfiction books, he also suggests you try poetry. This one is almost like a brain cleanse to get your mind reading and analyzing and imagining in ways that it doesn't when reading nonfiction or everything else you consume, articles, tweets, etc. online. The way poets use metaphors and play with language can make you stop and think and reconsider. Now, this is actually something I do before I embark on a big creative writing project. You know, if I'm doing a really deep writing session in which I really need to focus and be inspired, I start with some free writing to clear all the detritus from my brain, and then I read a poem from whatever book of poetry I have laying around. Sometimes I reverse the exercise, but the point is clearing my head and then expanding my mind. And the final tip that Thompson gives for rewilding your attention is to just talk to people. Deep conversations with someone about their interests and life experiences can lead to all kinds of insights and inspiration. I mean, you really never know what you're going to get with another human being in the mix. All of these are great tips, in my opinion, and well worth trying out, although I'll give the one caveat that the biggest challenge for me is finding the time to do any of this. You know, I'm lucky enough to get hints of it throughout the day as I work on the podcast, but I find I never have the time to go back and dive as deep as I'd like on the many off-the-path things that I spot. It's like I need to actively set aside a block of time to rewild my attention, which I suppose is kind of the whole point.
Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania. Must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. So here's a cool little citizen scientist project for you. You can help future Mars rovers better navigate the Martian terrain. NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab announced last week that they're asking people to help train an AI algorithm by pouring through images taken by Perseverance and labeling various types of rocks, sand, and other features. Quoting JPL, Called AI for Mars, the project is the continuation of one launched last year that relied on imagery from NASA's Curiosity rover. Participants in the earlier stage of that project labeled nearly half a million images using a tool to outline features like sand and rock that rover drivers at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory typically watch out for when planning routes on the Red Planet. The end result was an algorithm called SPOC, or Soil Property and Object Classification, that could identify these features correctly nearly 98% of the time. SPOC is still in development, and researchers hope it can someday be sent to Mars aboard a future spacecraft that could perform even more autonomous driving than Perseverance's autonav technology allows. Images from Perseverance will further improve SPOC by expanding the kinds of identifying labels that can be applied to features on the Martian surface. AI for Mars now provides labels to identify more refined details, allowing people to choose options like float rocks, islands of rocks, or nodules, BB-sized balls often formed by water of minerals that have cemented together. End quote. They say the ultimate goal is an algorithm so well-honed that future rovers could pick needles from the haystack of data sent from Mars. And as Hiro Ono, who led the development of AI for Mars, pointed out, a good data set is key to any successful algorithm. The more data, the more an algorithm learns. And with Perseverance using its 19 cameras to send back anywhere from a few dozen to a few hundred images every day, there is a lot of data. But it's all got to be organized and categorized to be useful. And like with most citizen scientist projects, there is simply too much for the scientists leading the project to actually be able to accomplish themselves. So if you like combing through images of Mars already, why not sign up to help out? Just go to the link in the show notes, watch a brief tutorial, and then you'll be ready to start outlining and identifying types of terrain to assist future Mars missions. Well, NFTs have taken over Times Square. It's probably nothing. A number of billboards in Times Square have been taken over by artwork created by a whole bunch of different NFT artists as part of the promotion and celebration of NFT NYC. NFT NYC is a conference happening right now through Thursday featuring talks, workshops, debates, and more about NFTs from what they say are the leading names and brands in blockchain. 
It's not the first time that NFTs have taken over Times Square. Cube Art Fair did a similar thing over the summer as one of their many what they call virtual art galleries. And for those ones, the art on the billboards is accompanied by a QR code so that people can actually purchase the art if they wish. And, you know, despite some hesitancy that I do still have around NFTs, my favorite thing about them is all of the cool opportunities that they're affording artists. So stuff like this, getting your art on a 15,000 square foot billboard in Times Square, that is pretty awesome. But an even more complicated feeling news, McDonald's has just created their first NFT, a digital version of the McRib to celebrate the barbecue pork sandwich's 40th anniversary. The NFT looks like a tripped-out golden trading card of the McRib and will be given away sweepstakes-style to people who enter via Twitter. No purchase necessary, though you do have to have a cryptocurrency wallet set up that is capable of transacting in Ethereum. All words I never thought I'd be reading in something published by McDonald's. Truly a sign of the times. Oh, and in case you want a McRib that you can actually eat, they're officially back in McDonald's restaurants as of yesterday. And to announce it, McDonald's included a mildly interesting history of the McRib in their press release, which I'll include in the show notes. It mentions how the sandwich debuted in Kansas in the early 80s and was a regional favorite, but fails to mention that the, quote, major motion picture, whose tie-in promotions vaulted the McRib to international fame, was in fact the 1994 live-action Flintstones movie. I can't imagine why they wouldn't have wanted to remind us of that particular detail in their sleek press release. So, depending on your feelings, you can either blame or thank the John Goodman, Rick Moranis version of the Flintstones for the McRib's perennial and frenzied return. You know, I'm still thinking about rewilding my attention, and even though it started with seeing something trending on Twitter, I do think that final segment there kind of plays into some of Thompson's points about rewilding our attention. All I wanted to do was figure out why Times Square was trending, which led me to the NFT billboards, but that eventually led me to the history of the McRib and a fun stroll down memory lane with the Flintstones movie, which, if I didn't have to get this podcast out, easily could have led to a way deeper dive on the production history of that film, and inevitably, I bet, a rewatch paired with a nice hot McRib. Rewilding attention really does seem to be about having the time to do it more than anything else. Time that can sometimes be pieced together by cutting out social media distractions that chip away at our time, but even after that, many of us don't have the time to go as deep as Thompson was recommending. I don't know, something to think about when I have the time. And on that note, that is it for me for today. As always, the show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotki.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.